got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Muscara, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow, he's going to make Sports Center with an incredible Jarvis Jones, the game winner got it. Ball game, East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? You're handsome, you have the perfect amount of scruff, and you still have no talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Friday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, another episode of Sandos in the Sidekick. We will relive the big win on the road in Baton Rouge. ETSU knocks off LSU 74-63, but can't celebrate too long. Bucks play Cleveland State tomorrow, 4 p.m. inside Freedom Hall. We'll talk about the LSU game. We'll talk a little bit about Cleveland State. We'll also preview women's basketball. They play tonight, 7 o'clock, South Alabama, 6.30 airtime. And then uh, bold predictions, and uh, I guess we have a double recap. We're going to talk about it, then you're going to play the seven minutes of greatness. Oh, yeah. I love it. How can you not? we got to revel in it, you know? I mean, it's not every day you beat a Power 5, and especially in the manner and fashion that ETSU did against LSU. I mean, up by 23 in the second half, but really... Once Patrick Good kind of barraged the Tigers with threes in the first half, that was the signal to me that this day might be a bit different than many that mid-majors have on the road against an SEC team, ACC team, Pac-12 team, whatever conference in the Power Five that you want to state, in this case the SEC. And I thought a really big momentum-changing moment. You go down the stretch in the first half and you get Trey Boyd. While he didn't hit that and one, he didn't get the free throw with one second left. He did get the foul after the made shot you get the momentum going to the locker room LSU down by nine and then you come out in the second half and I know you're really big on those first four minutes you talked about it in queue quote unquote when we were talking back to each other in break about how important it was and then on the air as well you set things up really well I thought those four minutes out of the locker room can turn an upset on the road for a mid-major into something that is just a tight game and is anyone's contest you know if it couple threes out of the break you have a basket here basket there ETSU kind of goes silent offensively all of a sudden it's a two three point game but instead not only was ETSU able to maintain they were able to stretch out that lead well and I think that was the big thing they go up nine and a half and then that first few minutes especially when you're an underdog on the road against power five you assume they're going to come out of the locker room fired up and the first possession wherever head coach T Forbes about his thought process but really teams trade empty possession then all of a sudden LSU gets a dunk and you think okay well maybe they can build some momentum ETSU came right back with a bucket then another dunk and you're thinking okay and then ETSU rattled off eight in a row led to a timeout 14 point lead and then kind of went from there went from 14 to 18 then uh, when it got to 20 there was a timeout got to 23 and eventually LSU late in the game able to knock some shots down to bring it to a closer margin but the offensive rebounding was oh. by far the story of the game. 19-7 to advantage over LSU. I thought really a dominating performance, and it was 
one that I think ETSU, you and me have talked about on the show, and Steve Forbes talked about it before the game. We know what we got to do. We just got to go out and do it. But on the road against the SEC team, it's a lot easier said than done, right? That's why you don't see upsets like this, especially in the way that it went down, where you're up by double digits, then 23, and really LSU just had to scrap and claw to make it look respectable by the end, honestly. Anyone that watched the game, I don't think, would say that outside of maybe those first 10 minutes, the Tigers were ever really even in it, and they didn't really have much of a crowd either to be able to feed off of to come back because of whatever you want to say. Maybe it was break. Maybe it was the fact that students care more about the national championship. Maybe it's that the city, I know a couple people were saying when you were down there and some people that others talked to I heard from said, they just don't really care about basketball being a thing here. It's just football town. It's football time. It's kind of crazy, too, because you look at the banners hanging up. Uh, you know, And they're uh, good this year. Dale Brown did all that. The Final Fours they've been to. The uh, two of the greatest basketball players, you know, Pistol Pete uh, Maravich and obviously Shaquille O'Neal was there. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you bring up a lot of – I mean, you look at the Raptors and you're going, my goodness, these, these guys have been able to figure it out. But, you know, it, it just until football's over, it seems like – and I don't want to say they completely didn't care, uh, but it was pretty close. But I, I just had a feeling if somehow football had another, like, eight-win season, and which would be good for most teams, is not good for not LSU – then you know they they would, I think they would have supported this game a little more. Now it's basically like, hey, we're saving money trying to get to the semifinal game. We're saving up. Matter of fact, the the guy used to work here at ETSU, Jeff Schneider, we used to call Tuna. He's from Baton Rouge, went to LSU, works in LSU. Took me and Kevin Brown out. He basically said, they said you coming to game night, and, and that's basically what he said. He said, no, I'm literally I'm saving all my money wow. for the championship game. I said, what about semis? He goes, ah, I can't go to both, but I can save my money and go to one. Rolling the and dice. if we go to a championship game, the first time in my life I'd be, you know, make my own money, I'll be able to do it. And that's where everybody's head's at. It was like page four on the newspaper that the game even happened. So, and, you know, the money that's involved nowadays and everything is going, it's hard to blame LSU. It's hard to blame, uh, you know, the paper and everything else that they're covering it, play, you know, for a non-conference game, ETSU. And my guess is as they get – through football and kids are back in school you start watching lsu conference games that they will support the basketball team just right now they're just not willing to do that they just seemed disinterested the crowd did the players did aside from maybe emmett williams except for the two guys behind me <laughs> boy they were wearing <laughs> out involved too. Were yeah, they? yeah they were wearing out. well but you emmett, you're right emmett williams i don't want to sidetrack you too much but emmett williams was by far the only kid it seemed like he cared for LSU. 16 and 11 for him, but I thought it was so key that Patrick Good came out and had one of those games that Patrick Good can have. It wasn't just the threes in the first half. He ends up with 19 points, had the rare uh, two-point basket. Uh, in fact, I mean, had, well, just the one, but five and nine from outside as well. I think he had, over the last five games, like 16 combined points or something like that coming into that contest against LSU and then was back on the scene. And the Bucks needed it, and it was huge for him to step up. Bo Hodges did what he did, stuffed the stat sheet. Rodriguez, his third double-double this year. And really, it was the hustle. They just outworked, out-physicaled, out-performed, out-toughed. LSU on the road and that's not easy to do against any power five team specifically one receiving votes in the AP top 25 one that started the season ranked uh, receiving votes in the coaches poll as well and I was just so impressed with the way ETSU dialed in on both ends of the court and maybe you, we talk about being disinterested LSU the fans except for the couple behind you that you had a chance to then kind of wear out yourself as the game went on but uh, outside of them Maybe ETSU is 
the one that you look to and say they're the ones that took LSU out of the game. It didn't seem like a tremendously, I guess, connected or um, interested group going into the contest, but once you see that a team is there to play in your building, there's not a lot of support from those around you in the stands, and you're not getting energy back from the crowd, and you're not providing a ton yourself, that makes it really difficult when you can see the conviction and the desire on the other side of the ball. I think it was the most complete performance, I think, since I've been here. I know it's been only a couple years for me, but I think this has to rank up there for you, I would think, in terms of the pantheon of complete performances in ETSU basketball since you've been here, which is much longer than me. Yeah, that put a lot of thought, but the big thing was against the Power Five. Last time I think the Bucks had a game like that would have been the Arkansas win right after Thanksgiving. Um, gosh, it might have been 2011, so a mm. uh, long time ago, and that was a, a, a game really where ETSU was up 15-18 in that one as well. Uh, a lot of the other games, you think about it, the other couple wins for head coach Steve Ford versus Power Fives, game winner Jelon Gwynn, game winner Hunter Mascara Perea. Right. I mean, you're winning at the buzzer. You're not winning going away. I mean, and this was a situation where Will Wade couldn't decide, do we pack it in and wave the white flag or do we foul and try to stretch this thing out as long as we can? He got sort of stuck in the middle because his guys kept hitting shots enough to keep him just close enough and then when they decided to pack it in, they started fouling. It was so – I mean, it was just a game where I think he, he wanted that thing to be over probably about eight minutes before it was over. <laughs> Here's Coach Forbes postgame. Right before we came out of the huddle, I went to the one three one. I switched up, and they turned it over because I thought maybe they'd come out, you know, try to go right at somebody with a draw foul or like they did the first play of the game, Emmett Williams drove it and laid it up. So I didn't want them to be able to run what they had drawn up at halftime. So we went one three one, and they turned it over. That kind of set the tone a little bit for the second half. I know you thought it was a big moment in the game on the broadcast, and we talked about it just a little bit, but to be able to snuff out any momentum right out of the locker room and get that stew, because that is the worry. It can happen so quick, and you see it time and again, especially in these type of games, mid-major versus high-major on the road. It can be 60, 90 seconds, and boom, there's six, there's eight. And all of a sudden, what you worked so hard for in the first 20 minutes is vanished, gone instantly, and that can be a real momentum changer and real psychological blow to a team. It's very difficult to recover from that when you've done 20 minutes of good work and then it seems like right out of the locker room you can get into your head after LSU or any team that's across from you as a high major can just punch you in the face, hit, put you on the canvas, as Steve Forbes would say. Uh, but it didn't happen. You know, ETSU was able to get the steal and they were able to extend that lead as you said you had the couple dunks things seemed to start coming a bit easier for the Tigers but it didn't matter because time and again ETSU answered the bell when they needed a bucket and that's the, the impressive part that's a mark of a good team right that's a mark of a veteran team you know what team couldn't do that a couple years ago Xavier right last year Creighton yep. uh, d didn't have uh, a guy that could do that or they only had a guy a couple years ago if DeSante Bradford didn't make a play it seemed like nobody else could make a play last year there were more guys that could make a play they just couldn't get one of those guys to make a play now it's like 15,000 guys it right. seems like can make a play and when need and again the smarts of this team the high basketball IQ to know somebody is on fire right now feed them you know whether it's a post player whether it's a three point shooter Rather, it's a driver like Tisdale or something. I mean, just give the guy that's got the hot hand the ball. They do an excellent job of doing that. And coming out of the second half, that's something that I know you see a lot of coaches do out of timeouts. Right? 
a team just giving up a lot of points, call timeout. Well, what are they going to do? They're going to drop an offensive play. Well, they're going to drop an offensive play against what you've been doing all day. So, Coaching 101 says switch the defense. I have never seen first possession, second half, switch the defense. And Brilliant. I, and move. if I have, I've totally forgotten. But I, I thought that was a great ch- – and, again, you could see Will Wade because his players are looking back at him like, oh, what do we do here, you know? And then the, an awful possession, and as they're trying to reset and call a different play, somebody throws it to the corner. Gallery left the corner, and it ends up just going out of bounds harmlessly, and the Bucks get the ball back. I, it, it was one of those that you thought, okay, still still going to be our day. I thought at the end of the first half when that shot went down for yeah. Trey Boyd, it was going to be the Bucks' day. Right. But I clearly kind of felt that the first few minutes of the second half. Yeah, no question. And it just seemed like all night ETSU was playing chess and LSU was playing checkers. Like Steve Forbes on the bench was winning the battle with Will Wade. Willie Wade as well. Come to know him in segment number two that uh, you referenced on the broadcast a few times. And then on the floor, the Bucks just could do no wrong. And I guess you can say, and a couple people have said this, oh, you know, maybe there were some shots that went in that wouldn't go in and on another night and, uh, you know, stars align, quote unquote. Well, sometimes, A, you need that when you're up against it on the road against a team that is so prolific or has been so prolific, at least. I mean, let's put in perspective what ETSU was able to do. LSU had two losses coming in and they were by two points apiece. The Bucks were up by 23 at one point in the second half. 20, I think it was 22 with 10 minutes to go. Um, it's just a kind of landmark uh, in the second half, halfway through. But up 22, it, they made that run at the end, but the game not as close as the final score would indicate. So, yeah, maybe some of those shots went in. Maybe the stars align, but also you make your own breaks in this game. And ETSU, time and again, got the deflections. Time and again, got the offensive rebounds, made the hustle plays. And Coach Forbes said it. We're not going to hear it, I believe, on this next bite, but he did say after the game he thought that the Bucks won the hustle points. We've come a long ways in the turnover situation too now. We only had 10 turnovers tonight. We handled their pressure, and I know we can. It's just a matter of doing it, you know. And I'll say this. I, I hate losing, period. I'll trade the loss last Saturday at North Dakota State to win this one because I think we grew up a lot over that time, you know, since that game. We've worked on some things that we really need to get better at, and as much as I hated to lose that game, I think losing that game probably helps win this game. Hey, yeah, and you see it uh, more times than not sometimes, uh, the old refocusing, right? There's a, a lot of times, you know, you, uh, more in football, especially NFL than anything else, it's almost like, well, you don't want to go in the playoffs with a 14-game win streak. Like, you know, if you lose one right there, sometimes it's good for the guys. It, you know, a little adversity, this, that, and other. You know, it's hard to buy into that till you see something that – definitely the fruits you know pay off for the labor right and that's exactly what it looked like they spent so much time working on the defensive end and getting back to effort and they play milligan and it's very easy to go well you know they play milligan and that's fair but you look at the numbers that they should have given up and that's what they did right so at least matched what everybody's expectation was then it was like okay now you're going to do it against a different set of athletes what are you going to do and i think that loss because north dakota state and the biggest thing in that North Dakota State game was the 50-50 plays. They just did not come up with them at all. And this one, it seemed like every single time there was one, 
it went ETSU's favor. And those hustle categories I talked about, I think Coach Forbes is referencing, you know, obviously the offensive rebound. Second chance points were 15-6 to six in favor of ETSU. And let's remember that coming in, LSU was plus 10 on the boards. They were a top 15 rebounding team in the country, and ETSU flipped it and were plus 11. It kind of went along with the game and how things unfolded against the quote-unquote line, you know, the spread, where ETSU was at game time. A lot of people were going uh, for the Bucks late on uh, as it rolled into tip-off, but 9.5, nine, depending on where you looked, was the line in ETSU, much like they flipped the rebounding margin. They flipped the final score line as well, ending up plus 11. So you look at those two things, they kind of went hand-in-hand, but outside of turnovers, which he did talk about, just 10 turnovers for the Bucs, uh, 15 turnovers for LSU, so you force some turnovers, get some points off them, 16 to 12 in points off turnovers in favor of ETSU, the plus 9 in second chance points, and then the offensive rebounds, and it was, I think, unselfish. You and me were talking off air about this. You brought it up about being unselfish on the glass, and rebounding isn't usually what you would think about when you think of a selfish stat quote unquote you know you think selfish and you're like okay he wants to get his he's going to go put up 30 and take 30 shots to get there quote unquote uh you know just to use as an example but guys were punching the ball out guys were tapping it to a teammate they were doing everything they could to keep possession alive because they knew how important it was and like you said every 50-50 ball seemed to go ETSU's way and here's some from the players coach Shea always emphasizes to be able to have a spark somebody to give us a spark an offensive rebound is a spark a deflection is a spark and a spark to to get some momentum we knew that long shots lead to long rebounds and if we wanted to give ourselves a chance we had to get second chance points and then we had to um, keep them out of transition as well as you talk about those sparks that's Patrick Good post game after having his big game with 19 points yeah, and I think uh, the fact that he had three offensive rebounds, right? You look at the, the starters, every single person had multi-offensive rebounds. And, again, I don't know last time I've seen that uh, particular stat, but that just shows you that everybody was buying in. And to your point, it was amazing to see guys that would stick with a box out and know that the, if they just kept boxing out, somebody from the other side was going to come get a rebound. Or vice versa, a couple times LSU had ETSU boxed out and then you would just see a, a guard out of nowhere just kind of shoot through there as the ball's bouncing on the floor, and they would basically steal a steal or steal a rebound, I guess I should say. So I, I, all of that helps. And, I mean, it just started with Isaiah Tisdale and his effort and how great he played. Yeah, he drew rave reviews from everybody post game. Patrick Good talked about it, being a warrior, being the heart and soul of the team. And Coach Forbes talked about it as well. And it doesn't really show up in the box score. I mean, he was 2-9 from the field, 6 points, but he did have 4 offensive rebounds. 17 of the 19 offensive rebounds came from the starting 5. A couple of assists and had 3 steals as well. So he really was one of the guys that put forth maximum effort. While I'm not sure there's anyone that wouldn't fit that category for ETSU on Wednesday night, certainly he was at the front of the chart. I just want to talk about the win right now. You know, I feel amazing to get this this win today. We waited for three years. We play uh, Kentucky, Xavier, and Kansas, and Creighton, and we couldn't get the job done. But tonight, we played extremely hard for 40 minutes, and we, we made it happen. Now, Jeremy Rodriguez wasn't on the court for that Xavier game. I believe that was his first year here where he would have been sitting. Uh, same with Bo Hodges no was because he was a freshman, so Bo Hodges was out on the court to witness what was a pretty gory scene at Xavier because the Bucks played about as good as they did 
against LSU, but only for like 26 minutes, right? It was 14 minutes to go, and you're up 22 against Xavier, who was number eight in the country at the time. You were on the verge of a huge upset, but then the Musketeers just stormed from behind, come back, and with seven seconds left, Trayvon blew it, hits a mid-range jumper to win the game 68-66. Then against Creighton, Jerome mentioned. That was an 11-point game with seven minutes to go. So you look at situationally, about half the time left, about half as big of a lead, but still a chance that went by the wayside. Kentucky probably look at that as a good first half didn't really have the second half that they needed I think that ended up being an 18 point game like 79 to 61 or something along those lines but they've had the chances they've just never been able to seal up the game and coach Forbes was really happy post game talking about the 40 minute effort and putting together a full and complete game something that again is just very rare when you talk about a mid-major going on the road against a team like LSU yeah, just the the fact that a few of the guys have been around sort of learned or remember the feeling, right? And I remember I think Coach Forbes said he did not shy away telling people in the media timeouts, hey, in case you guys weren't around or were on the team and forgot, we had this large lead with about similar time and lost the game. Right. Like you've got to continue to make plays, and they did. They continued to make plays. Again, it was a 10 nothing run late from LSU that, that got it closer. They got it to 10, never got it under 10. ETSU, 11-point uh, victory and all the new matrix systems. It's so much better to have an 11-point win than a 9-point <laughs> right. win nowadays. So not not only that, but selfishly thinking that, uh, that and you look at the Ken Palm they've jumped up, you look at the, the new net ranking or whatever they've well, jumped yeah, up, so they? about yeah. a 30-point jump. So huge day for ETSU. It's not over. We're going to continue to relive oh, yeah. it right off this time. Out to your Santa sidekick on the bucket here. Schwartz, that work. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Santos and a sidekick back with you as we continue to relive the win. The glorious win. You sound depressed when you say it, but I'm very pumped and excited. Well, I'm always – sometimes when you throw a monkey wrench into our <laughs> segments here and what we're doing, I'm, yeah, I'm a little just, unclear. I, I just got a memo that we're we're doing the fast break 40 and others. And, I and others. I, and I don't know what the others well, are. Well, we'll save the others for the fast break 40. I thought you were fantastic on Wednesday. Brought the energy, brought the life just like ETSU did. And this is how – on the Buccaneer Sports Network, the upset sounded seven speedy minutes of breakneck action. All the high points for ETSU, as called by most of the Bucs, Jay Sandhaus. ETSU, LSU, Game 12, Pete Maravich Center. ETSU taking on LSU in Baton Rouge. The Bucs looking to pull the upset on the road against tonight's SEC foe. And while Tiger forward Emmett Williams would score the first five points of the game, the Bucs we're quick to respond. Williams had the ball, lost it. Patrick good with the board. Bucks running. Bo Hodges. He'll go right to the rim. Left it to the right side with a layup. Rodriguez. Hodges went up, drew a double team. 
Dished it off to Rodriguez, and the Bucks scored the last five points and tie it up. Jerome Rodriguez off the nice dish from Bo Hodges, tying the game after Patrick Good opened the Bucks scoring with a three. And after gaining the tie, ETSU's first lead wasn't far behind. Good into the front court to Tisdale. He'll catch and shoot and transition for a three. No good. Joe Hughley offensive rebound, put back, score it. Joe Hughley, the offensive rebound off the Isaiah Tisdale miss from deep. One of the big keys to this game, crashing the glass. ETSU showing how big that can be in the early going. And it didn't take long for Hughley out of the first media timeout to show another strong facet of his game. With the basketball, Tisdale with seven on the shot clock. They go to Rodriguez. Will they double team him? They will. Joe Hughley wide open. Eyes a three. Takes it and drains it. Nothing but net by Joe Hughley. Five points off the bench for Big Joe. Hughley from deep. And the Bucs had a four-point lead with 15 minutes left in the first half. But then... No points for ETSU over the next five minutes. Once again, work on the offensive glass, what would lead to the next buck score. Gasson hands off Patterson. Patterson gets downhill. He forces up a shot. No good. Lucas Gasson offensive rebound. Finally a putback. Lucas Gasson, three inches taller than any Tiger on the court today, using his height to the Bucks' advantage, and more points would come down low. These ones shaking the foundation of the Pete Maravich Center. Ball knocked around. Patrick Good out to Tisdale. Boy, Bucks pounding the glass. Bo Hodges, look out below! A slam dunk and a foul! Oh, baby! Bo Hodges! Shoved one right in the mug at Darius Days. Bo Hodges, a thunderous throwdown, and the Blue and Golds work down low, would then open things up for their sharpshooter in his second year on the floor for Steve Forbes' squad. Boyd drives, kicks Hodges. He'll throw it outside, and good. A contested three, nothing but net. Hodges in the box. It's a three-on-three. Hodges to good. In transition, another three. He got it. Patrick Good, bang. Boyd with the basketball. Patrick Good. He wants another three. Boy, he's really feeling it. My goodness, he hit it from the logo. Patrick Good unconscious. Patrick Good. Just 16 combined points in his last five games. Nine in that short stretch that brought us inside eight minutes to go in the first half. The Bucs up by five at the under eight timeout. But that lead would grow bigger. What for shot block, Bo Hodges. Then Hodges came up with a rebound. Hodges still dribbling into the front court. He finds Patrick Good. He'll shot fake dribble with the basketball. Over to Bo Hodges. What a block from Hodges. Trey Boyd for three, and he nailed it in front of the LSU bench. Trey Boyd, that long bomb, part of five straight for him, and your Buccaneers up eight at the final media timeout of the first half. A great start, just what LSU head coach Will Wade was worried about in the lead-up to this contest. Bad starts this year for the Tigers. Steve Forbes and company taking advantage in the first 20 minutes, and Boyd would finish the half just how the Bucs were hoping. Tisdale with five, trying to get it to Boyd with three. Boyd will beat the horn. He does. It's a tough shot. He found a win in. Oh, he got fouled inside the arc with point three, and the bucket drops. Oh, what a shot by Trey Boyd. He's got seven a chance at eight. At the half, ETSU 38, LSU 29. ETSU led by nine at the half. They were the better team in every aspect in the first 20 minutes. So how would LSU respond? The ever-important open to the second half, which can take an upset and derail it in a matter of moments. But the blue and gold were having none of that. Hodges drives right down the lane. Reverse layup good. Bo Hodges blew by his man. Hodges finds good. Shot fake, Patrick Good. Pull-up jumper from 12 on the elbow is good. Patrick Good, a two-point basket. He's got 14. Hodges inside Rodriguez. Forces up a shot off the glass is good. What a tough move by Rodriguez. He's got four. Hodges drives, runs to a double team. Leaves it, Rodriguez, a two-handed slam. Timeout, Willie Wade. Seen enough. 
Bo Hodges, Patrick Good, and then Jerome Rodriguez times two. So not only do the Bucks get past the first four minutes, they extend the lead to 13. Hodges with it, drives right side. Cut off, still dribbling with the left hand. Finds Tisdale. He wants to fire a contested three, and he hit it. Oh, goodness gracious. Tisdale knocks down a triple. Man all over him. He's got five. And the faithful is very unfaithful right now. 49-33. Make it 16. The Bucks were showing no mercy to the Tigers in their own building. Isaiah Tisdale on that three. We always knew ETSU could at least be very competitive in this contest. I'm not sure many would have said a 16-point lead with 15 minutes to go. But the Bucks were not done. Rodriguez with 13 on the shot clock to Williamson. Out for a three. No good. Rebound. Bo Hodges aboard. Hodges goes. Shot fake. Got his man in the air. Lays it up and in. Bo Hodges with 12. LSU fans beside themselves behind me. Over to Goussaint. Inside Rodriguez. Bucks try to cut the lane. Behind the back pass to Goussaint who ducked it all. Oh, behind the back pass to a duck. Willie Wade another one. 20-point lead. 57-37. ETSU dominating on the glass and even getting a bit fancy with the behind-the-back pass from Rodriguez to Goussaint to stretch it to 20. LSU taking an absolute throttling on their home court. Ten minutes left and wiping the Pete Maravich center floor with those that play on it were ETSU. And the good times just kept rolling. Finds Patrick Good, a shot fake. Sidestep to the left for three, and he banks one off. Oh, man, Willie Wade really beside himself. Good with a sidestep triple. 64-42 if they weren't leaving before they are now. Had LSU had enough? Spoiler alert, they had not. Trey Boyd with the basketball. Drive to the hoop. Left-hand layup, good. Oh, and the Bucks just abusing him. Nine for Trey Boyd. 68-45, ETSU back to 23. 23, an absolute destruction, and after all was said and done, this was the story of the night. Good, a fall away three, in and out, no good. Rodriguez a rebound. Rodriguez a hook shot counted. He's got 12 points, and Rodriguez nine rebounds now. ETSU just out physically and out-working, out-toughing LSU in their own building. What an incredible job, specifically on the glass and in the paint by every single Buccaneer that took the floor tonight. Final ETSU 74, LSU 63. The Bucks' first win against a Power 5 team in over three years. I mean, electric. Absolutely electric. Uh, I broke a sweat <laughs> just sitting here. <laughs> just sitting here. Wow. I mean, okay. I mean, I sweat a lot as it is. but uh, I thought you were going to say calling the game, but even sitting here today. Oh, still, no, I clearly, I clearly uh, sweat through <laughs> everything calling the game. It looks like I've played sometimes. You have to. That's how you know you left it out there. Yeah. Well, yeah. You earned the victory. So did the Bucks on the court. Uh, I thought that the energy was just palpable. You could feel it through the airwaves. Uh, there were a number of calls that – even in the first half, I mean, before it was clear the outcome, it was like you were urging and willing the team to victory on your own. Um, and I just thought every step of the way, and you know that I don't tend to heat praise upon you, but after a call like that, your 40 minutes you brought, uh, ex- excellent, excellent, excellent. Well done. I still feel like there's a butt coming. Well, of course. They're always- yeah, yeah, I was just making sure. But in this case... The butt is more... Will Wade? Oh, hello. You call them Will? Hodges drives, <laughs> runs to a double team, leaves it Rodriguez, a two-handed slam. Timeout, Willie Wade. Seen enough. Over to Goussaint, inside Rodriguez. 
Bucks try to cut the lane. Behind the back pass to Gusan who ducked it all. Oh, behind the back pass to a duck. Willie Wade, another one. 20-point lead. 57-37. Finds Patrick Good, a shot fake. Sidestep to the left for three, and he banks one off. Oh, man, Willie Wade's really beside himself. Good with a sidestep triple. 64-42 if they weren't leaving before they are now. It just sounded like you enjoyed it a little bit more on Wednesday with the Willie what Wade. Your, what was your first indication? It seemed like I was loving it. Uh, just the, the fact that I'm still grinning near to ear. Leave the Rodriguez as a two-handed I think the last one. Timeout, Willie Wade. There, the first one, Seen you enough. give a little bit more. Goussaint inside Rodriguez. Bucks try to cut the lane. Behind the back pass to Goussaint, who ducked it all. Oh, behind the back pass to a duck. Willie Wade, another one. 20-point lead, 57-37. Finds but this Patrick one, you're almost laughing in his face. Sidestep to the left for three, and he banks one off. Oh, man, Willie Wade's really beside himself. <laughs> Good with a sidestep triple. 64-42 if they weren't leaving before they are now. You put a bit more oomph behind the first one, and then you're almost laughing right in the face of Willie Wade, as you call him, it, in the final uh, one. But if there's any indication how much my uh, deep hate roots, sports hate, we've talked about that before, different hate than real hate, but for Chattanooga runs deep. I mean, I watched a lot of the Akron games this year because Tom Arth was the head coach, and they lost every game, and I take great satisfaction and they didn't win a game, and I, that's just a personality flaw with me, and I, I own it. But just seems like if they're at Chattanooga and, I don't know, Will Wade just rubbed me the wrong way. It goes back to win. Casey Jones hits the game winner in Freedom Hall in overtime. I think first year Bucks are back in the league. Mm. And uh, not just Will Wade, but Brooke Savage, who still claims he didn't do it, and I've got video proof he did. Uh, sort of jump up in there, almost like Donkey Kong. They jump up in there with both fists <laughs> and like, ah, like smash a barrel right at midcourt or whatever. So it, it just, that is always the image I've had of Will Wade. And then I've always had something against guys that, just look like little kids, and and they pout, and it's just the way they pout during the game. And I mean, Will's a, a flailer; his arms are always flailing, and he's doing a bunch of things. But in this game in particular, he got to the point where he almost was like one of my kids. Like a, if they did something and you yell at them, they go they go in the corner and they just kind of squat down like a catcher, and he just kind of uh, grit their teeth and they're shaking and they're vibrating and they're grabbing their hands. And are just, but they don't know what else to do. Like, like they just can't verbalize. You know, I'm talking about three and four year olds here, as opposed to a grown man that ought to be able to handle himself a little better. And every time I looked over, it got worse and worse. And it got to the point where I'm not even watching the guys celebrate and and going back and trying to get more description of what maybe happened because I'm Your immediately going straight, going to, straight to him <laughs> to see how mad he is. Uh, and that brought me great joy. I, it just did. I'm sorry. I can hear it. I could absolutely hear it. I feel like the Chattanooga thing, and I've talked to Tom Arth a couple of times. He seems like a nice guy. So poor Tom Arth, I feel a little bit bad for him. I'm, I'm, even sure, with, I'm sure Tom's a great guy. Even with nice people, if they have been at Chattanooga and a certain amount of time has passed, it does not matter for you. Like once you're a mock, you're always a mock in your mind. Regardless of if you're a good person, bad person, if that jersey, that C, you're on that bench, whatever it is, even there's if no coming tra- back from Even that. if they've uh, – there was somebody – I wish I could remember the name off the top of my head – had transferred uh, down to a D2 uh, that had played Chattanooga oh. very sparingly. And then transferred down to D2, played at ETSU, and I took great pride, and he had a terrible game. And, wow. and, again, it's probably still personality flaw with me. The 
main thing that Will Wade seemed like he was doing, at least by your call, was just turning around and berating his assistants. Yeah, that was, uh, and I'll say this, it, it was two key instances that usually happen. If the defense had a breakdown, and I don't know if that's he's yelling at the scout or just the closest man to him, or if there were some bad shots, and boy, I thought LSU took some bad shots. Sure. I mean, even, you know, to give Will Wade credit, he's sort of, Art, not arguing, but sort of begging his team not to take a few of the shots they did. And you could see why, because they're not very good at that. And it seems like they had plenty of time to work themselves back in the game, but they decided to shoot more threes. And the more threes they shot, the better it went. And I know they hit a couple late and they hit a couple early, but in the middle, they very rarely hit any. And so um, it, it it was interesting to see that. But that, that's that's probably common. Uh, especially for the scout, because if the defense has a lot of breakdowns or they're not doing whatever, it was their job to get the team ready. So that one, maybe you were just you watching a little more, yeah. But uh, there was some offensive ones where it was kind of odd because I was like, normally you'd yell, it's kind of the player, you know, hey Bobby, don't do this or right. Billy, don't do that, and and instead of that, he just kind of turned around and just started wearing out whoever's on the and maybe he's just sitting there screaming about, I, I don't know what we're doing today. I mean, he might have been actually yelling at them. He might have just been letting out all the frustration, but it was odd. Maybe yeah. he knew that his players wouldn't listen. I mean, they didn't seem like they were tremendously you know, in tune going into the game I mean, what the, with each other or the coaching staff. You know, Taylor, uh, Marlon Taylor's first action all season. Forgettable. And they're down 23 and he is talking trash to the ETSU bench oh, and man. people were, were laughing at him. They were like, what, what are you doing? Right. Like, oh, okay, buddy. You dropped six a game last year. Yeah. Like at one point, you're really he, being missed clearly this year. Sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, at one point I think he took a shot at Damari Monsanto. It was like, <laughs> you, like you play for a scrub team. You can't even dress. And I think Damari was like, you're down 23. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> seen just about as much action as Craziness. Damari's seen this yeah. year. Well, um, that's true. <laughs> it's confusing that LSU would come in and have the approach they did. 7 to 22 from outside. Why would you take 22 threes when you're shooting like 32% from outside coming into the yeah, game? You're like good, a bottom a 100 game. team in the country and three points you did. I didn't understand that. So you unleashed some fire on Will Wade while Coach Forbes, the win, made him go a different direction postgame. Yeah, Octavian, he wasn't real fired up about being a well, human sacrifice. Let's get that one more time. Yeah, Octavian, he wasn't real fired up about being a well, human sacrifice. To which Steve Forbes then says, <laughs> Firstly, I'm saving that. But it was about five seconds after you're talking about along the lines of the human sacrifice that apparently Octavian Corley was going to be for, I think, Mike the Tiger. And this has continued on Twitter, by the way. Steve Forbes responded to some video yeah, well, oh, uh, one of the three or four ETS Men's Basketball put out. With a picture of Mike the Tiger well, saying that he's coming for Octavia Corley. Octavia Corley said, wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't trade this brotherhood for anything. Okay. That's Corley's comment. Okay. Right below it, the direct response was, <laughs> this guy wants to meet you. And it's it's a close-up that we took of Mike. That's how close we were to Mike the Tiger, Oh, by I the thought way. this was like a stock photo. No. Well, even if it is, that's how close you are to him. Wow. Like that little bitty netting, there's a little bit of plexiglass. Uh, that allows oh, so that's you... Mike the Tiger's home? Yeah, oh, wow. right there what on campus. That's the that's football amazing. stadium in the background. That's of course, fantastic. nobody can see what I'm talking about. But if you go to uh, Twitter right Steve now. Steve Forbes Twitter, yeah, it's which has Steve been Forbes, fantastic, yeah. by the way, since the win. It's always fantastic, but it's been especially good since the win. He I looks love... like he's on the prowl. I mean. He looks like he's going right for Octavian I, Corley. I can't, I can't describe to you. I was, and again, if you look at the photo, well, that's, we're like 10 feet from Mike the Tiger. 
And I was all right until he made eye contact. And then I got to be honest, it was it was a bit uncomfortable for me <laughs> because it looked like he just got done napping. And I don't know if you're like me when you get you know you you wake up after you you sleep for a while like you're hungry. And that's how that's all I kept thinking about. He's looking at me going. Well, he's he's the chubbiest guy around. I could eat that guy. <laughs> and, oh goodness! Hey, so can we? We need to have a new segment where we rank things by certain things, and one of those is going to be: Is it good enough for Steve Forbes' laugh? <laughs> is it diabolical? I hope so. I just is it fun? To that. Yeah, we got to come up with it somehow where it's a couple hot buttons, and we just. You ask me questions, and then we hit the button on which one we think You paint is. an amazing picture. I'm just picturing you and Mike the Tiger. I'm picturing myself with a side view. I'm going to try and paint a picture of myself here. I'm picturing myself at a side view of you and Mike the Tiger making eye contact and him having that hangry look in his eyes after just waking up from a nap, and you just paralyzed with fear yeah. that instead of Octavian Corley getting eaten, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because Octavian Corley's a slim guy, someone that has a little bit more meat on them like yourself or, say, a Kevin Brown. I don't know why you guys aren't the ones being sacrificed rather than Octavian Corley, but Mike the Tiger's looking at that belly of yours and saying, that's going to be mine. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, and we've had a good exchange here on Twitter, but in the hotel – Corley comes off the elevator after you know, about an hour after the win, and Coach yells over to him, "Hey, Octavian, come over here." And OC sit down. So you know, OC's really thinking, "Hey, Coach, gonna say something?" <laughs> sits down. He goes, hey, "I'm starting tomorrow, huh, Coach? Hey, yeah. That uh, we're gonna take you back over and feed you to Mike." <laughs> and he's Octavian's like, "Well, I think I could outrun him." I'm sitting there going, "Do you think you can outrun Tigers him?" Are extremely. Oh, no, I don't even want. I didn't want to go over that. I was like, "Okay, Octavian." Okay. Can you just help me here? Because I don't really understand why Steve Forbes. Why would Steve Forbes sacrifice one of his players to the? Is it to appease the Tiger gods because we just beat them? Is it to appease I, I mean, the basketball gods? It's I, for the greater good. I mean, I don't know. get it. I don't understand. That's the only thing I could figure out. Was it? And he he kind of talked about some things. He'd go the way. He said another. He said, and then he kind of just blurted out, "I'm as willing to sacrifice." And then he had to think, like, okay, well, who didn't play? All right, Octavian didn't play. I'll sacrifice Octavian. Okay, willing so, to sacrifice is in, like, to get the win. Like, yeah. If I can get this win, I'll give you a player, Mike yeah, the Tiger. Okay, yeah. I, I get it now. I mean, he may feed him to him. I don't know. I, Mike, you do what you want with him, but I may give you that if you pick up the win. <laughs> it's incredible. So great. I'm keeping that one. We're using it often because Steve Forbes, <sighs> a bit maniacal, right. a bit beside himself. And I don't even blame him. I mean, he can uh, – these are just fun little bites that I pulled out. But when you pull it up and sit on the road at LSU, you can laugh however you want. <laughs> ah, that's good stuff. All right, let's step aside for time out. we got a couple quick previews. Yeah, Men's sure. Women's basketball this weekend, Friday, Saturday, after this on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold – well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. I just like that beat. Santos is I kick back with you. We'll talk a little ETSU men's and women's basketball. The men's team plays Cleveland State. Women play USA. That's University of South Alabama. So we'll talk about that. That's 7 o'clock tonight, 4 o'clock tomorrow. That's Saturday for those who are checking. Tonight, Friday, in case you catch the podcast on a later date. 
uh, and then you may not need the preview. But either way, let's talk a little Cleveland State because what's the worst thing that can happen to you after you beat LSU is fall in love with yourself, not be prepared, and then immediately lose right after. Well, and it actually happened earlier this year to ETSU women's basketball against Cleveland State. They beat Wake Forest, an ACC team, and then that Sunday they lose to Cleveland State 62-54, to which is a bit too eerie for me to be comfortable with this game coming up against Cleveland State, but it's a team that is not the one that some may remember, at least what I remember from the late 2000s, early 2010s, when they had some NIT teams, one NCAA team went to the second round in 0809 under Gary Waters. Waters retired a couple years ago. Then Dennis Felton had some weird things go on this summer where he was let go in like late July amidst a wave of transfers. This is all you'll be able to find if you look at some different news sources that were trying to get to the bottom of why he was relieved of his duties at the time that he was. So now you've got at the helm for uh, Cleveland State, Dennis Gates in his first season, who's just been really playing catch-up to, after those transfers, form a full roster and get everybody on the same page and still some things he wants to do. Obviously, for a first-year coach, it's already going to be tough enough when you've got guys that are used to doing things one way. Then you come in and try to do things the way that you're comfortable with, and especially when you've only got what, a month and a half, two months, two and a half months, whatever it is, until you have to start practices and getting ready for a season. So really difficult task for him. Cleveland State has not been the same team since Gary Waters retired and even at the tail end of his time, uh, 9-23 and and 9-22. You can kind of see things start to tail off for Cleveland State once he, I don't want to say mailed it in or anything like that, but at some point, you've been around college basketball a really long time and you just don't have what you did, whether it be communicating with the kids, losing the locker room, uh, just unable to maintain the effort to have success at the college basketball Division One level because obviously it takes a ton of effort year-round to be able to maintain a successful program. So once he was gone, Dennis Felton, two years, he's gone as well. He went 12-23 and and then 10-21 last year, and this year they're 4-8, and 0-5 and on the road. They do have some... I guess, all right, good losses, if you want to say. Minnesota, Missouri State, who is a Sunbelt favorite. Minnesota, of course, just beat Ohio State. South Carolina, uh, Kent State out of the MAC, and then Bowling Green, the MAC East favorite. So it's not to say that they've been losing to a bunch of scrub teams. They've obviously had some tough opponents on the road, haven't been able to come out with success. This is going to be another tough task for them. I think this is a really good shot for ETSU to follow up that big win with another because Cleveland State's only scoring 61 points per game. But that being said, you are still going to have to be on your game in order to make sure that there are no scares and ultimately upsets like there were for ETSU women's basketball against Cleveland State earlier this year. You know, they played DePaul pretty tough, which has gotten a lot of accolades earlier this season. They're off to a great start. 11-1. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, they beat uh, what was it, uh, Texas Tech right before Texas Tech went and uh, won. Ah, who they knock off? Number one team in the country. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, it was not Virginia. Louisville? Louisville, thank you, yes. So, DePaul just beats uh, Texas Tech. Texas Tech turns around the very next game and knocks out Louisville in a game of Madison Square Garden or whatever. So, DePaul clearly has got some good wins on her roster. And it's a single-digit loss uh, for Cleveland State. Did a good job of the press. And I think that's maybe the biggest difference while they're struggling. Uh, Coach Felton, we played against him at ETSU, a, a couple different universities. And, you know, I, I think it's maybe how it even got on the schedule, is at least familiar with the program. But, uh, it was interesting because they, you know, more half court set, man to man. You know, you look at what Florida, uh, what Florida State's done over the past with Leonard Hamilton, 
that's where Coach Gates comes from. And so they do a, what they call a diamond in one press, and I, I don't even know if I could prop I – mean, I kind of know what it is, but I don't know if I could break it down fully for you. It's not quite what LSU does. It's not quite what the one two two just kill time UNCG press does. It's really sort of a hybrid in between that. And so that's what they want to do. DePaul did not handle it well. I could see, you know, it's interesting that ETSU is going to play. And then when they scheduled the game, they probably weren't trying to play another pressing team because they knew coming off LSU, you know, part of this non-conference schedule for everybody is you're trying to get all different looks that you would see in league play, right? Uh, besides just getting checks in certain cases, it's about, okay, well, strategy-wise, you know, what do we need to do to get our team ready? Clearly, UNCG's uh, been the upper echelon of the Southern Conference for the last couple of years. You know they're going to press and do things. You've had trouble handling different types of presses, so um, try to work on that, and this just gives them another opportunity. So taking a look at the press, how the guards uh, sort of play, that's sort of the, the first thing to pay attention to, and then honestly, I just want to see uh, Aljavon Eichelberger, Eichelberger, excuse me, Eichelberger. If we could see... Uh, Aljavon Eichelberger get the ball a lot, that would make my day. Why? Just so I can say it. Probably wrong good. again the first time, <laughs> and, then, and then I'll get it right after that. Aljavon Eichelberger, fourth in the conference in double-doubles and third in the conference in blocks in the horizon. Only one player on their team averaging double figures. That is him. It is Eichelberger. It is. Who's averaging double figures. Yes. I just want to say Eichelberger. Go Eichelberger ahead. again. I got you. Yeah, I, I don't want to see him get any touches. I'm hoping ETSU denies him the ball because outside of him, they really don't have a lot offensively. They're bottom 15 in the country in turnovers, so they're giving the ball away a lot. They're also bottom 15 in the country in three-point shooting. They are second in the horizon in free throw attempts and makes. And outside of that, the only real thing they're doing well is taking the ball away from opponents. They're 70th in the country in steals. So they give the ball away a lot. They do take it away some from the opponent. But I think the key to this game is going to be much like against LSU. And let's remember the stat that we talked about on Wednesday. 14 steals for Kansas against the Bucks. That was a season high for an ETSU opponent. Nine steals for NDSU against the Bucks. That was second most. And what happened in those games? ETSU lost. So if you can avoid giving the ball away, if you can avoid those quick hands of Cleveland State and hold on to the ball. Of course, there are a ton of other keys to the game, but I think that's number one. With Cleveland State only being good at a couple of things, you have to stay away from their strengths. They love to take the ball away and get points off of those turnovers. So hold on to the rock. Don't give them easy baskets or easy chances to get to the line. Don't commit dumb fouls because, yes, they're a good free-throw shooting team. But if you force them into shooting from outside, if you take away the drive, I think it's going to be, honestly, a walk in the park, to be completely honest. Uh, Cleveland State is not going to present a whole lot of opposition if ETSU, even if they do have a first 20 or 25 minutes where they're not quite at their best. They're not at their peak. They're not playing like they did against LSU. And I think it's important to do that, right? Because you want to develop a culture where you're going out every single time and doing what you need to do. But when you're not doing that, you still do have a chance against a team like Cleveland State to build a little bit of a lead. And then once you do start firing all the cylinders, build that lead and run to a comfortable victory. I think that's probably how this game is going to go. Just make sure to stay away from turning the ball over because when you do, you've seen what happened against Kansas and NDSU. I think the other thing is the LSU game is ironic because it's the first time the Bucks actually put a team away. Right. You know, they've had a hard time. They've ran out the leads. With, with much lesser teams. Too. Yeah, and not you know, and even giving up a lead. But they were able to get the lead, maintain the lead, hang on, and, and pick up the uh, the victory against LSU. And we'll see again 
can the Bucks give that max effort as they did? Can they bring that energy and everything uh, that led them to that victory to the game against Cleveland State on Saturday? Then you get a little bit of breather, Mars Hill. Then you open up conference schedule against Wofford at home. So that's men's basketball Saturday. You take a look at tonight's game at South Alabama, a team that um, – you guys, uh, women's basketball played last year, but it was fresh off coming from South Carolina, Rutgers, Western Kentucky. Yeah, <laughs> three thousand mile flight. Oh, jeez. And those games against perennial powers in women's college basketball: South Carolina, Rutgers, Western Kentucky. In a span of three days, played those three. Then two days after the final game, you had to go down and play South Alabama, who was a team that lost by one in the Sun Belt final last year to Arkansas Little Rock after winning four games. In the, it's a marathon in the Sun Belt tournament. They won four games, and they lost by a point in the final to Arkansas Little Rock. Did end up making the WM by NIT. And this year, they're struggling a bit. They're not putting up the numbers early on that they did last year. They won their first 11, so it's tough to match, right? They were 11-0 and after 11 last season. After 11 this year, they're 5-6, and six, but they have a lot of the same players back. 11 of the 14 from the roster last year that put up a program record 25 wins are back. Um, and they've got a lot of their studs back. Antoinette Lewis is the main one at six foot one. She has kind of been unstoppable this year, and she's not the biggest, as we talked about, six foot one, but she's still 23rd in the nation in blocks, third in rebounds, ninth in free throw attempts, and eighth in double doubles. And the team as a whole is not tremendously big. Ashanti Laverne and Jalen Mallard are six foot two freshmen, and then there's Lewis at six foot one, but she's their only real size that plays and that makes a real impact, but still, South Alabama is 37th in the country in block shots and 33rd in rebounds they take a lot of threes but their bottom half in the country in three-point percentage so maybe a little bit like the approach that LSU had to Wednesday's game they're just shooting with kind of no conscience but they are able to get a lot of second chance points because of those rebounds and they do get to the line a ton seventh in the nation but they're 38th in free throws made so they get there a ton don't make a lot 330th in the country in free throw percentage so this is a game that ETSU can win I think you and me have talked about it there's some things that need to happen and we don't need to kind of gloss over the fact that Erica Haynes Overton is not with the program anymore I know we didn't talk about it Wednesday I kind of wanted to avoid it just to be honest we were talking men's basketball yeah you knew when yada yada you're like "Eh." when I found out that that was happening I literally sat back in my chair and just stared straight ahead at the wall for like 10 minutes I was like Mike the Tiger stare or no (laughs) thankfully Mike the Tiger isn't coming for me I'm very happy about that it was very much though you and Mike the Tiger making eye contact when Mike the Tiger is hungry except there was no tiger looking back at me it was just blank emptiness and it was honestly just hard to hear right but ETSU I've talked to people inside the program and they're moving on you know they're happy that Erica gave the time that she did here they wish her the best in her future wherever she ends up but they've already been operating without her and that's maybe the easier part about this transition is that with the injury played the first four games hasn't played the next eight Micah Sheets has already adjusted to her new role right she was the spot-up shooter she was the one that knocked down the jump shots she was the one that hit those long daggers when you needed a basket from outside but now she's without Erica become the creator not shooting as much from outside Uh, she still can hit that shot she showed that a few games ago when she hit three uh, but she's kind of had that fast over game take a back seat to being the one that needs to drive and kick or get inside and hit the tough shots and what the Bucks really need is for a couple outside of her to thrive because she's continuing to do what she's done. I think it's 15 of the last 16 now. She's been in double figures going back to last year. Uh, she's got a couple of 20-point games along the way. In fact, I think it's back-to-back games with 20 now. But at least Stafford needs to be on the court more, A. 
and she needs to take advantage of her opportunities. And the last three games, she really hasn't been out there a lot. I don't know if it's because she's kind of in the doghouse right now, if it's because Coach Azell feels like she has not been making the most of her opportunities. Whatever the case may be, she's got to win her way back into favor because she, I think, this is just my opinion, but I think she's top two or three in terms of difference makers on this team. No, I I agree. I I think they they just got to figure. You know, they're kind of operating with you could get somebody back, and there's still something mentally about that. You know, I, I think you know, hey, we just keep head above water. Maybe get the conference play. Get Eric. You know, then we've done all this, and you add a piece to the puzzle, and there was still no guarantee that piece was coming back. Now for sure the piece isn't back right. ever again. So how do they? How does that change the mindset? How do, how do they do that? They got enough pieces, I think, especially in the Southern Conference, which last year, this year, doesn't appear to be as strong as years past. So there's an opportunity, you know, still to get things going, turn in the right direction, get playing. They need some players to not disappear. And I just don't want to use the term step up because I think they just need to play you know what they do and you're probably gonna get bored with me the rest of the year on the the certain themes i'm going to say all year they're gonna have to rebound right they're gonna have to figure out how not to disappear how to score what at least their average and you can expect a night if they go above and beyond that's great but they need to at least get to what you know their their average is and then if you can hover around that then see what happens and you know, there, it's going to be some situations. I think we've seen, you know, Micah Sheets, you're right. She's done a better job of figuring out how to score. Kai Upton's been better at distributing the basketball. They're still, um, you know, sort of up and down play with Elise Stafford, Shania Jackson, Ariel Harvey. I could go on and on. But they're going to have to have those ladies step up. And, you know, it's it's thin. It's going to be thin at some point. You know, people are just going to want to see how you play on the floor. And I think it's up to the players on the floor have to look at each other and be like, okay, we've got to do this now. We've got to step up. We've got to do our deal. I know I didn't want to say step up, but we've got to be able to at least do my job, handle my responsibility, right, and not be a liability. And I think what you said at the beginning of that point, it's a very good one the mental mindset that this team is in is going to be big now because while they've been playing without Erica Haynes Overton, they've always been able to look over on the bench and say, she's going to be back. She's coming back. We believe in her ability to recover and get back by conference play when, as Coach Azell has talked about so often, it really matters, right? She doesn't schedule non-conference to go and just win 13, 14 games, and then once the conference season comes around, the team is unprepared. She does the opposite. She wants to schedule the toughest, the best, and then when conference play comes around, it's almost like a step down. Right, because as you mentioned, especially this year, the conference does look like it's wide open. UNCG's look really good. I think they're probably the surprise so far. Mercer doesn't look nearly like what they were. Now, we've said that before about Mercer, and they've still been able to continue their 34-game conference winning streak. So regardless, outside of that and the conference being what it is, the approach has always been we're going to face the tough opponents, and if you've got somebody on the bench like Erica Haynes-Overton that you think is coming back for conference play, it's almost a double whammy, right? You're taking a bit of a step down to the Southern Conference from all the tough opponents you played, and you've got your star player, the best player in the conference, or was at least in my opinion, one of the better players in the region um, back on your side, and then you can kind of go back to business as usual. Well, that's not happening now, and how do players react now that they look over at the bench and Erica isn't there? 
they could be totally fine, and I hope they are, and I hope that it's not a shock to the system to not see her and to hear the news that she was leaving. I hope that Elise Stafford now is someone that steps up. I hope Shania Jackson is able to stay on the court Friday because she's had some real issues in terms of foul trouble the last four or five games, and Antoinette Lewis is someone that can get her in foul trouble again. They need 20-plus minutes from Shania Jackson. We know what Tiana Kimbrough brings off the bench. She's a block shot machine. That's going to be a very interesting matchup, Kimbrough versus Lewis, if they should come across each other, as I'm sure they will come the game tonight at 7 o'clock on uh, ESPN3 and on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Uh, but Jackson, if she can provide some quality minutes and Kaya Upton can be more efficient with her offensive chances because you can't have 12 or 13 shots to get to you know 13 or 14 points. You have to be efficient with your chances, knock down some shots, have a total team effort against the South Alabama team that, yes, is beatable, but all of their losses have come against really quality opponents. The six losses they have, Rutgers, UAB, Miami of Ohio, Alabama, Auburn, Southern Miss, all those teams are 500 or above and combined they're 39 and 19 this year. And they've won four of their last six coming into today, South Alabama. So ETSU is going to have to have things that haven't happened recently happen tonight with the Kaya Upton, Shania Jackson, Lee Stafford keys we talked about. Micah Sheets has to keep doing her thing, and Tiana Kimbrough has to provide some quality minutes off the bench, as she really has over the last month or so. Uh, but also the Bucks have to be locked in and focused and not worry about the distractions they've had over the last week. Easier said than done, my friend. Definitely. All right, we'll find out tonight. 7 o'clock, uh, ETSU versus South Alabama. The men's game against Cleveland State, 4 o'clock Saturday. Bold predictions after this on the Buccaneer Sports Network. An inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz, live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azell field your questions. Reflect on results and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show every Wednesday at 6 right here on WXSMAM 640, The Sports Monster. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model system when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England and get released by New England and go to online college, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job. Bold predictions. Bold predictions. They stink. Bold predictions, bumper. <laughs> I'm with it. I am nine out of thirty-six. Absolutely dominating, destroying, and crushing Jay Sandos, who is four of thirty-six. He tries to make a comeback as the new year approaches. You do have some ground to make up, but you do have lots of predictions that we're going to be going over on our next episode of Sandos and the Psychic, which we should note, and I hope you're sitting down for this, folks. Will not be until the new year. As I'm going back up for the holidays, you're going to spend some time with the family, of course, and we're going to take a little bit of time away. And quite honestly, you're only missing, what, a couple of games, and uh, it's a good time to get out to games now. You won't hear the previews, won't hear the reviews here on Santos and the Sidekick, but a good good time to go see for yourself around the holidays, while hopefully you as well at home have some time to get away from work and enjoy some Buccaneer basketball. Uh, me or you first? I get to choose, I suppose. I'm what just wondering want? if you actually have bold predictions where I can oh, kick I it to you. Oh, I got a good oh, first one. Okay. I got a good All first right. one. This is a shocking surprise. Well, you remember I went the uh, 
well, 40, 50, 30 last time. Very creative. I was a fan of that one. And you actually yeah. nailed it, too. That was yeah. the one you got yeah. right last week. I'm going to go 25, 40, 15 oh, this boy. time. You find something that's working and you hammer it home. Don't 25 you? point win. 25 or more. So 25 will count as a win. 25 or more over Cleveland State. Okay. 40 or more over Mars Hill. Oh, I see. And 15 or more over Wofford. Wow. Which is clearly the boldest of the bold. That is definitely very bold. Um, and I suppose I didn't even really think about this, but we can do bold predictions over like the next couple of weeks because yeah, we're yeah, not we, having we don't have to reviews. wait. Yeah. Right. May, may or may not help me. We'll find out. Well, that sounds fun. That's something that you can keep up with uh, and we'll all keep up with as we go forward over the next couple of weeks. I don't have anything creative like that, unfortunately. What I do have is ETSU men's basketball scoring 50 or more in a half for the fifth time this year. And while that may not sound like a bold prediction, what's that, five out of 24 halves? They played 12 games. So that's about 20%. Maybe that's not extremely bold, but I'm calling my shot. I'm saying it's in the second half that they will do it against Cleveland State. ETSU men's basketball, 50 or more in the second half against Cleveland State. They've scored three times in the first half, 50 or more. Delaware State, Citadel, and Milligan only one time in the second half. That was against UT Martin on that trip I was on against the Skyhawks where the Bucks blew them out of the water in that second half. Every shot was going down. Patrick Good got hot, and the Bucks ran away with that victory. 50-plus in the second half this Saturday. I'm going to go with your uh, beloved Oakland Raiders at San Diego. Nope, Los Angeles, whatever they are. The Chargers. <laughs> the Chargers are seven-point favorites. And now, I know, no, Oakland's been training. Wait a second. Before you even continue, Oakland's you been have been shredding me for loving Oakland for the last month and a half, two months. Yeah, and it's been awful, but they are going to win this one. How all of a sudden do you have them winning – and you're completely reversing your take on the Oakland Raiders and my take not, on the Oakland I'm not, Raiders. I'm not reversing it. What do you mean you're not I'm reversing it? I'm not reversing that they're a good team. I'm not reversing I thought they're going to go to the playoffs. I'm not re- reversing I think they're a train wreck. I'm just saying for one game on this particular Sunday, they will beat the Chargers as a seven-point dog. You're clearly forgetting all Road we talked win. about on fail downs. First fail. Second fail. Maybe your fail. Third fail. Fourth fail. Is worthy of all four of those fails. Because remember, it was the third fail on Wednesday, where we blamed like their entire team and fan base See, and quarterback and defense the, and kicker. This, this is the problem with, with Mike Gallagher and his generation. The overreaction. <laughs> oh, the overreaction uh, uh, is there and prevalent, and he can't get by it. So I'm going – there you go. I'm not going to let this snowball. I'm just going right. to move on. Women's basketball against South Alabama tonight. At least two individuals will have career highs in scoring against South Alabama. At least two individuals, which means the Bucks. I'm hoping – are going to win, obviously. Uh, I think that I had a longer-term bold prediction. Maybe I should do that instead. Now that you got me thinking about it, I think I'm actually going to change it and say ETSU is going to go 3-0 and over their three games in the non-conference. That's what I'm going to do. Instead of, okay. see, y- your creativity and why I'm following you down mm-hmm. this dark rabbit hole of bold predictions because following you is never a good idea in bold predictions, but you've got my mind moving, and now I want to do something that you did, which quite surely is going to be wrong simply because I'm following you in doing it. But ETSU will beat South Alabama, then they will beat Converse College, and then they will beat Cornell on the road as their final non-conference game of the year. 3-0 and before we're back on the air. Why would I let you influence my bold predictions? This is just I love it. Third fail. My third fail. Now, I continue to uh, – so I went against, you know, sort of my one thing. I'm going to double down on another one. The Pittsburgh Steelers ah. need two wins to get to 10-6. and six. Last year they were uh, what was it uh, nine six and one nine six and one. 
And granted, I didn't realize they were going to be. I knew they were without Bell. They knew they were Brown and all the yada. I didn't realize quarterback. They don't know Pouncey's going to be spent. A lot of things going on there. I certainly didn't think Devlin Hodges was going to be the savior of the Steel. <laughs> but curtain. he has been. He has been fine. Wow. He had a rough game last game against the Bills, who are clearly the second best team in uh, all of AFC behind the New England Patriots. Um, so uh, we'll see Saturday. Yeah, I probably should go Bills, but I'm not. I'm going to go. Not only will Pittsburgh win as a slight, I think they're a slight favorite at the Jets. It's not bold, but they're going to win the last two road games of the year, which is the Jets and at Baltimore. The Ravens. To get to 10 and 6 to help one of my, not just bold oh, predictions, but on the a wall. battle between you But and on me. the wall is going to The other thing it will do will lock in that I get two uh, AFC North teams in the playoffs as well. That would. So it would actually give me oh, a bold. It, it would be a threefold for me because it would give me a bold prediction here. It would give me two things I've got written, and people don't realize this, yep. but we have bold predictions yep. that we write on the board and keep tally because when people spout out which they do often the in our office there had to be an accountability system that's and right that board is it and so i have two of them on the board as well in there so this would give me a three for even only one for our bowl predictions for the podcast but it would give me so much glory <laughs> on the other board as well for me it would be a soul crushing bold prediction because not only are you right about the bold prediction and you're starting to gain ground on me but i have my entire Christmas is based around getting that right. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, if I don't get one of those two bold predictions right on the board and you get both, it's going to be coal in my stocking. Mm. I've based my existence over the last four I know. Months. I cannot wait. <laughs> cannot <laughs> wait to win. You got a third one? Yeah, I'm going Rams over Niners. Rams over Niners. That'll do it. All right. So we'll be back with you after Christmas, New Year's, all that good fun stuff. We still have plenty of basketball coverage, not just uh, tonight, Friday. South Alabama on the women's side, Cleveland State on the men's side, then a break of about close to a week, and then ETSU will play Mars Hill on the 29th. The women's team will play Converse College on the 31st, Wofford on the 1st, and then we'll be back with you finally. Boom. January 2nd. Hope you all have some happy holidays. Jay Sandos, hope you enjoy the time Hope you eat a lot. Oh, gosh. Stuff your face. Make yourself fat. It's eat, time drink, for it. and be merry. Yeah, I'm going to do all of those, except for maybe the merry if you get the Pittsburgh Steelers prediction right. I will not be merry. It's a bitter Mike Gallagher before the holidays. I will be bitter. I will be the Grinch. There's no doubt about it. No one will want to be around me because you have ruined my Christmas. Hopefully that doesn't happen. All right, and we'll also have an update. Did Octavian Corley really get traded to Mike the Tiger? <laughs> we'll find out. New Year's. Santa sidekick. Buggin' Air Sports Network. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>